Teresa, this is pretty hot up here. If you could turn that down just a little bit, please. Well, last week, I think most of you or many of you will remember that we were in chapter 4, verse number 13. And I just want to remind us very quickly of what we talked about last week because of the importance of it. Solomon spoke of the poor, penniless, destitute, poverty-stricken young man and said that he was better off or in a better position than the old king, the one that was established and the one who would have had plenty. And the reason that he said the poor young person, the poor child, was in a better position than the old king was because the young person was at a position or at a place in their lives where they would take correction, and the old king was in such a position now with his age that he would no longer be admonished, he would no longer be warned, he would no longer be corrected. And last week I tried to remind us and I tried to show us that whenever you and I grow older, we tend to get more established in our ways and we oftentimes become very stubborn and we don't want to be told we're wrong. We don't want to be shown areas that we need to change. We don't want to be told that there are certain things that need to be altered in our lives. And when we reach that position, though that is allowed, that puts us in a very undesirable position to be in. You and I should have a desire to be teachable no matter how old we are, no matter what stage of life we are in. It requires effort on our part, no doubt, to have that teachable spirit, but we need to maintain a teachable spirit. This morning I want to begin by talking about something that is hypothetical from my perspective, and yet it's something that has played out amongst courtrooms all across our nation, I'm sure, many, many times, the situation could look something like this, where someone has been charged with a crime, and soon they will be standing before a judge and a jury. At some point, this one who has been accused will have to take the stand and will have to give some kind of a testimony. And I think most of us understand this about our legal system, that if that one who has been charged cannot afford an attorney, they will be provided one by the state or by the government. And so this one who has been charged and this one who will one day stand or, or give testimony there in that courtroom, they've got this attorney who is working with them. And, and I would imagine that in all of these situations, there are a couple of goals, goals in mind. The first goal would be this on behalf of that attorney, to maybe get the charges dropped completely and their client be found innocent. If that can't happen, they would certainly hope for the charges to not be as serious as maybe they were first uh, brought against them and, and maybe have them reduced down to something to a lesser degree. But that would be the goal of an attorney on behalf of their client in a situation like this. Now, knowing that at some point the client, the one who has been charged, will have to take the stand and give testimony, here is what the attorney is going to do. The attorney is going to go through the series of questions that they will be asking their client. They're going to say, now when you're on the stand, here's what I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to ask you this, and then I'll be asking you this, and then I'll be asking you this. And as the attorney walks through the questions that they'll be asking their client, Here's what the attorney is going to do. They're going to coach them on what kind of a response they need to give in that setting. 
So the attorney would say, now whenever I ask you this, here's how you want to answer. Here's what you want to say. Here's what you want to be sure and include. Or here is something you don't want to mention. You don't want to bring this up. At the same time, the attorney would not only tell their client what they plan on asking, the attorney would also say, now listen, the other attorney is going to get up and ask you questions, and there will probably be questions like this, and whenever they ask you these things, say this, say this, don't say this, mention this, don't bring that up. Now, as all this happens by way of preparation, I want us to think about why the attorney is doing this with their client. Why the attorney is going through all this effort to explain to them what the questions will be and what the answers need to be. I want us to think about why this is happening, and it's for this reason. The attorney understands probably far better than that client does that every word they speak in that courtroom is of utmost importance. In that courtroom setting, the attorney probably understands far better than the client that the client cannot say, oh, judge, wait, my lawyer said I wasn't supposed to say that and it just go away. The attorney is going to try to coach their client as much as possible because the attorney understands everything that is said and everything that is spoken, intended or not, that will now be a part of the permanent record in the testimony. Now here's what happens. We've seen this, we've heard about this, we know that it takes place. There are times that the attorney does their job and says, this is what you say, this is what you speak, this is what you stay away from. And for whatever reason, maybe the excitement of the moment, maybe the passion of the moment, the emotions of the moment, whatever it may be, there have been many times that the client said things they should not have said. Given too much information that was not needed. And though it's regretted, again, it will not be deleted. It's now a part of the permanent record. Now I want us to think about that thought. I want us to think about that principle as we look in chapter 5, verse number 1 this morning of Ecclesiastes. Notice what Solomon said in verse number 1, the opening words of this chapter. He said, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. This morning I'm sure that most of you understand what Solomon is talking about here, what Solomon is conveying whenever he writes of the house of God. But essentially what he is talking about is the temple where the children of God or the Jews would go for the purpose of sacrifices, for the purpose of offerings. And whenever the Jews would go to the house of God, when they would go to the temple, this would have been a formal event of sorts, and, and it would have been a very serious event. It would have been a very sacred event. And so whenever Solomon writes of going to the house of God, he says, to keep thy foot when thou goest. 
I don't know about you, but whenever I read that, my first thought is something like this. What in the world does it mean to keep my foot when I go to the house of God? What would that have meant? What would that have been conveying to the children of Israel, the Jews? And so understand, please, what the word keep means. It means what it's meant every time that we've gone through a study that involves this word. It means this, to guard or to observe or to protect something. And so we understand that the nature of this word is a very serious nature. It is a word that carries some significance to it, and there is something that that shows the importance of it. What Solomon was saying to his readers was this, is that whenever you go to the house of God, here is what you want to do. You want to give attention to your feet, or you want to give attention to the seriousness of what it is you are engaging in and what you are participating in. Now this morning we're going to try to make some application as we go throughout the message so that we don't have to try to sew it all up at the end. But I want us to think about it this morning that though the, the assembly is certainly different than what it would have looked like thousands of years ago, I think that you and I sometimes need to be reminded that whenever we approach the house of God, that that is a serious time in our lives, or at least it should be a serious time in our lives. Whenever you and I go to the house of God, this is not something that should be done in a casual manner. This is not something that should be done in a light manner. Whenever we go to the house of God, understand please, we're not going to a coffee house. We're not going to to just another hangout spot. We're not going to a place to be entertained and a place to have our our emotions you know, stroked and, and made to feel good about ourselves. Listen, when we come to the house of God, it is supposed to be for the purpose of meeting with with God. And we should recognize the seriousness of that. We should recognize the importance of that. So here is Solomon, and he says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. And then right after that, he says this, And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. So whenever he says to whoever would one day pick these words up and begin reading them, whenever he says to keep or to guard or to observe or to protect your feet, give serious attention to what you're doing when you go to the house of God, he said you need to be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Well, what does it mean to hear? It means to listen. To give attention to something with the intent of obeying or doing what has been declared. So here is Solomon and he says, now when you go to the house of God, here is how you want to approach it in this serious manner with with an understanding of how significant of an event it is that you are participating in. And he said, and as you go, you want to be more ready to hear, to listen, to give attention, to be prepared to respond in obedience to what is said, what God might show you, what God may reveal to you, than to give the sacrifice of a fool. What does it mean to give a sacrifice of a fool? Well, you understand that whenever the children of Israel brought sacrifices in their day, there were certain requirements for the sacrifices they brought. 
They couldn't bring the lame sacrifice. They couldn't bring the, the blind sacrifice. They couldn't bring the one that had the faults and the, and the defects in it. And yet, the scholars suggest that what many times people would do in the Jewish culture is this, is that they would try to bring offerings that didn't really meet the, the standard of the offering, but hoping that that would be good enough in what they brought to the Lord. Now here's what Solomon said when such a thing happened, that they were giving the sacrifice of fools like they're not smart enough to understand that God sees right through that. And that what they are doing is actually evil. It is not what it's supposed to be. So you follow this. You're going to the house of God, Solomon says. You need to keep thy foot. You need to consider the significance of this moment, this time, that you will go into the presence of God and meet with Him, and God will commune with you. And as you do, be more ready and prepared to hear. Verse number 2. Be not rash with thy mouth. Be not rash with thy mouth. What does it mean to be rash? It means this, to be hurried or hasty with something. To be hurried or hasty with something. So what would it mean then to be not rash with thy mouth? It means this, don't speak in a hasty, hurried manner. Can I ask you something this morning? How many of us at any time in our lives have ever spoken in a hurried or hastened fashion? Most of us have done that, have we not? We have spoken in a rash manner. We have spoken without really thinking about what is coming out of our mouths. Some of us do that on a daily basis, don't we? I said we. Some of us do that on a daily basis. We're not really thinking about what's coming out of our mouths. We're not really thinking about the comments that we're making, the statements that we're, that we're saying, what, you know, it could be perceived or, or what could be taken from this. I don't know about you, but I am guilty far too often of speaking in a rushed or rash or hastened fashion. And here's what I know. More times than not, that does not work out too well for me. doesn't work out too well for you most of the time either. Most of the time we have to go back to that person and we have to say something like this. I'm sorry I said that. I wasn't thinking. I shouldn't have said what I said. I wasn't thinking. I just opened my mouth and I started talking. And I wasn't really thinking about what I was talking about. Now, now listen, the setting here that Solomon is talking about is still in the meeting of the house of God or, or in the, the, uh, the exercise of going to the house of God. And so what Solomon is saying is this, when you are in the house of God, you don't want to be rash with the words you speak. Not only that, he said in verse number 2, past that, he said, And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. You understand what hasty means, don't you? 
This one isn't real hard because we just dealt with it in the word rash. It means to be rash. It means to be hurried. It means to say something without really thinking about it. Okay, so here is Solomon. He says, when you speak in the house of God, listen, don't say things in a hurried fashion. Don't say things in a hasty fashion. Don't say things without really thinking about it. And he says, and even in your heart, be not hasty to utter things before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be what? Let thy words be few. What does it mean to let your words be few? It means don't say a lot. You don't need to say everything that may pass through your mind. So here is Solomon. Again, I, I want us to see this. He said, now when you go to the house of God, keep thy foot and be more ready to hear, be more prepared and, and more of the mindset to listen with the idea of responding in obedience to what is said, what the Lord might show you. And when you go to the house of God, be not rash or hasty or hurried with your mouth. And, and, and listen, here's what you want to do. You want to use few words in the house of God rather than many words in the house of God. And even the words that you might communicate to God in your heart. You know, God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. But see, God has the ability to understand even what is said or spoken in our hearts to him. So in verse number four... He says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel or the witness that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the works of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are, there are also divers vanities, but fear from, but fear thou God. Now what we read in verses four through six is essentially this thought or this idea. When you make a vow, whenever you make a promise, whenever you make a commitment to God, you better not defer to pay it or to follow through with it. Because God has no pleasure in the fools who commits or vows or promises but does not follow through with what they have committed. And Solomon said it would be better for you to not ever vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Now, I don't know if we're seeing this and maybe beginning to understand where this is headed, but Solomon says when you go to the house of God, remember how important this moment is. Remember how important this event is. And be ready to hear and not so ready to talk. Be ready to receive rather than yourself ready to communicate. 
use fewer words than more words, and even be careful what you would communicate to God in your heart because God understands what you have committed in your heart as well. And he said it would be better for you to not make any kind of a promise or any kind of a commitment than to make one and not follow through with it. Does this make sense? Now, there is so much in this little passage that we could spend so much time on. But I want us to think of just a few things this morning, and I hope it will be a help. But I want us to think about an environment that we find ourselves in sometimes. Sometimes we find ourselves in an environment, among Baptists especially, where when a preacher is preaching, and right now I need to be very careful in what I say, but sometimes when a preacher is preaching, they sometimes get a little excited. They sometimes get a little caught up in the moment, and they get caught up in the emotion, possibly, of, of what is happening in a particular service or things of that nature. And sometimes preachers have been known to say things that the Bible didn't say. I wish it didn't happen, but it does. So sometimes the preacher is preaching and the preacher is declaring and the preacher is just having a good time and something pops into their head that wasn't even a part of their notes, it wasn't even a part of their sermon, it wasn't something that they were even thinking about. And this has certainly happened from my perspective at times. There have been times that things have come out of my mouth as a result of what popped into my head. And then later I'm asking myself, why did I say that? Because that's not what the Bible said. That's not what the Bible was trying to communicate. That's not what the Bible was teaching in this particular setting or this particular situation. Now, I want us to understand something, that whenever I come to the house of God, and me being the one who's supposed to do the speaking the majority of the time, here is what I've got to remember. I have got to remember how significant this event is. And anyone who would ever stand before God's people, they need to be reminded of how significant this event is. Because here is what the text will convey, and here is what the text reminds us of, that once we speak in the house of God, and once we make certain declarations, guess what? We are responsible then for the words that have come out of our mouths. I'm kind of like that client on the stand. So whenever I stand before you and whenever I teach and whenever I preach and whenever I present, and the same would be true of any teacher in this church or any church, whenever we stand and speak and we say this is what the Word of God says, we are then responsible for what we have just declared. That is why it is of utmost importance that a preacher be studied up, prayed up, and ready to deliver because the last thing they want to do is just wing it or just assume it will come to them at the appropriate time 
and then end up saying things that should have never, ever been said. So there's importance for me in this, no doubt. But this also happens. Sometimes because we lose sight of how significant this event is and how important it is to come to the house of God, sometimes when the preaching is taking place, people say amen to things that they have no business saying amen to. Because what the preacher just said wasn't even biblical. Does this make sense? <laughs> I'll just go ahead and explain this. Over the years, I've been to many meetings. I've talked about this before. I've been to many meetings where different men were preaching, and they're good men. But, you know, good men up there at the pulpit, they can get into the moment, they can get into the emotion, and they can start preaching, and then all of a sudden they can say something that's not biblical. And, and listen, I've not just heard other men do it. I've done it. But, but people will respond by saying something like, Amen! And then you stop and you say to yourself, Why did I just amen that? Because that wasn't even biblical, what I just gave my agreement with. <laughs> See, when we come to the house of God, I'm not trying to make it a silent atmosphere. I'm not trying to make it a dead environment. But what I am saying is this is whenever you, the listener in the house of God, and you're hearing the Word of God, and you're hearing what's being brought, there needs to be a caution on your part that would say something like this. Now, before I speak, I want to be more ready to hear to make sure that, first of all, what I might say amen to, that I actually agree with, but I would also want to be careful to say, before I, I say amen, I want to make sure that I'm ready to hear it and ready to listen and ready to respond in obedience because what I say and what I speak and how I respond, I too will be accountable for those words spoken. So you go back to verse number one for just a moment. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. See, it's different in our culture today. I understand this. I understand that with the, the passing of the law and the tabernacle and all that went with that and the temple, I, I understand that things are different today. But sometimes people still like to come to church for all the wrong reasons and present things as something that they know they're not. Here's what I mean. Somewhat fearful to respond to that, I understand. But here's what I mean. There are times when certain agreement is given throughout the course of a message by people who are not at all living what's being presented in hopes that it'll get passed off as authentic and genuine there in the house of God in their own personal lives. It'd be kind of like the Word of God saying this or the Word of God saying this, 
and people saying, amen, that's right, oh, that's good, yep, that, that's right, yes, oh, yes, sir, that's right. And, and, and the idea is, is they want to try to mask their own failures or their own faults and flaws as one who has got it all together in this area so as to make others think that everything is fine when it's not, and they're responsible then for the words that are spoken. Sometimes we're rash with our mouth in the house of God, are we not? Sometimes we're hurried and sometimes we're hasty with the words that we speak. And that can be for so many different reasons as it relates to the preaching of the Word of God. Sometimes we respond to the Word of God and, and we do so in ways that made us feel good for the moment, but that's not at all how we should have responded because the emotion is what led us to say something like that. If you're not sure what I mean, just let me explain real quick. Sometimes, not just myself, of course, but preachers will come in and they'll preach a message that is stirring, that may be challenging, that may be convicting, that may be encouraging. And soon after that sermon, because of the emotion, people are quick to say things that they do not later follow through with. I'd be lying if over the last 16 years I couldn't point to some examples of this. But times that I've stood out in the foyer and people have said things like that, man, that was fantastic. Man, that was exactly what I needed. Man, I've got to start working on that. Now, now listen, all those words are good and kind and appropriate and things like that. But here's the problem. If we're not really thinking about what it is we're saying, it doesn't matter. We're still responsible for those words and we're still accountable for those words. And God is still going to be mindful of what it is we have said in response to whatever message, even though it may have been prompted out of emotion or excitement. A while back, I was visiting with someone who does not live here in the area, but I was visiting with someone, and they were just talking to me, and I didn't bring this up, but they said this to me. They said, yeah, I, I used to tell people that I was called to preach. I didn't know the man really at all. I didn't know the situation really at all, and, and I just said, oh, okay. And, and then here's what he said to me. He said, but that wasn't really God's will for my life. That was just emotion that led me to say such a thing. Trust me, I understand that emotion causes people to say things sometimes that wasn't really what they should have said at the moment. But as far as our testimony is concerned, we're then responsible for what has come out of our mouths. Sometimes it's not the things that we speak, but sometimes it's the things that we think and declare in our hearts. How many of us have ever had a time of prayer? 
where we're telling the Lord, Lord, we're going to start doing this, and God, if you'll help, I'm going to start doing this, and God, I'm going to stop doing this, and God, thank you for convicting me because I'm going to or I'm not going to, whatever it may be. And we've made some wonderful declarations to God in our hearts. Have we ever done that? Do we understand that we're responsible for that? We're responsible for that commitment that we made to God even in our hearts. Yeah, but nobody else heard it, I understand. But God heard it, God knows it. And so that's why it would be better off for us many times to use fewer words than more words. Because whenever I start saying amen to this, whenever I start saying praise the Lord for this, whenever I start affirming this and and saying, oh, yes, for this, and whenever I start saying, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that, whenever we start saying all these things, it doesn't matter what has prompted us to say it, there is now an accountability on us for what we've said. And so many times... We are rash with our words, we are hasty with our words, and we don't think about the long-term significance of the things we are speaking. So notice in verse number 3 what Solomon said. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business. A dream cometh through the multitude of business. So that doesn't mean a dream or a vision, something of great significance. It means this, that many times we dream when our minds are very busy. When we have a lot going on, you know what it's like. You lay down and your mind is still racing. So in the morning you wake up and you say to yourself, man, I had some crazy dreams last night. Now Solomon said that as the dream cometh through the multitude of business, notice what he said next. He said, and a fool's voice is known by what? By multitude of words. You know what Solomon's saying in there in verse number 3? He's saying that just as a lot of business makes a person dream, the foolishness of people is made known by their multitude of words. The person's immaturity, the person's simplicity, the person's lack of understanding, it's made known by all the words they say that they never actually follow through with. I know I've mentioned this person in the past, but it's a young person that I grew up with. Probably known them for the last 30 years. The first time he got saved, everybody was excited for him. The second time he got saved, people were saying, what's going on? The third time he got saved, people were like, this doesn't make sense. Fourth time, fifth time, sixth time he got saved, it didn't add up. Well, why? Because you can only be saved once. Okay, we can only be saved once. And yet, what was happening was this. 
is that every time a guest preacher came in and every time a wonderful message was preached about salvation or whatever it may be, it was not uncommon for this young man to get wrapped up in the emotion and to get wrapped up in the excitement and go forward for the purpose of getting saved. With his multitude of words, with his multitude of confessions, with his multitude of of saying that he had come forward today to receive Christ, what it did is that actually revealed his immaturity and his lack of understanding and his foolishness. It did not make him look better. It actually made him look worse to show him to be lacking understanding in something very important. What's my point? My point is this. Whenever you and I are hasty with our words and we are rash with what we communicate out loud, whether it be to the preacher, whether it be to someone else, whether it be in a testimony, whatever it may be, whenever we are hasty in our words and we say things because they were you know, a part of the emotion and part of the excitement, whatever it was that prompted it, whenever we don't follow through with that, you know what it does? It does not reveal our maturity. It reveals our immaturity and our foolishness. When you and I enter into the house of God, whenever you and I enter into that place of the Lord's presence, you and I, every one of us, need to be reminded how important that moment is. It's easy to get careless, isn't it? Because we do it every week. Every week we assemble at 10, 11, 6, and Wednesdays at 7. And so it's easy to get careless in what it is we are doing. And so as a result of getting careless in what we're doing, here's what happens. Many times we're not as ready to hear and to respond and to obey in the way that we ought. And so what we so many times do is we get wrapped up in this this response, but so many times it's not really out of what we know to be what we're supposed to be doing, but the emotion of the moment leads us to make these responses and to make these declarations, whatever they may be. And when we make those declarations, we've got to remember that God takes it serious. He takes it very serious. And kind of like the client on the stand, we can't just stop and hit a timeout and say, oh, wait, 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 I didn't mean to say that, I didn't mean to say that. Sorry, it's too late, we've already said it. And if we continue to be careless in the words that we speak, it reveals the foolishness in our lives more than it reveals any kind of wisdom or maturity in our lives. So again, this morning, I'm not trying to get people to never say amen again. I'm not trying to get people to ever respond again. But what I'm trying to get us to to remember and to focus on this morning is this, is we need to be careful. We need to be careful what we say. We need to be careful what we declare to the Lord. We need to be careful what comes out of our mouths because when we say it, we own it. I don't know about you, 
But I've got enough things in the past that I own that I wish I could get rid of. I don't need to keep accumulating new things that I'm responsible for because I'm not smart enough to keep my mouth shut sometimes. And so I'd encourage you. I would just encourage you. Be careful what we say. Be careful to what we give consent to and what we give an an affirmation to. Be careful what we declare to be our intentions and to be our, our next course of action. Be careful because we're responsible for that. And the Lord would rather us not commit to anything than to commit to something and not follow through with it. Let's all stand this evening, or this morning rather, and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to be men and women who are reminded of how important these moments are when we come into your house. God, I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who are more ready to hear than to offer up the sacrifice of a fool. God, help us to have a heart that wants to hear and to respond in obedience rather than to just try to pass something off that is not right and hope that somehow it's accepted and that it fools everybody who might be participating in it. God, I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who are careful with our words, careful in what we declare, careful in what we suggest will be so. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that whenever we speak constantly and give very little follow-through, it reveals our foolishness rather than our wisdom. So I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.